Welcome to Gimme Some Truth. I'm Kevin Castro, your podcast producer, and your co-hosts are Clint Walkner and Nate Condon, the co-owners and financial advisors at Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. This is a podcast series dedicated to illuminate some of the darkness around fees, conflicts of interest, and the motivation behind recommendations in the financial planning industry. Here are your hosts. Welcome to Give Me Some Truth, where today's topic is investment-related and more specifically talking about exchange-traded funds known as ETFs. Yeah, ETFs um, have really proliferated our industry uh, in the last few years, and there's been an increased usage over the last decade. And so we just want to talk a little bit further about ETFs and their properties, contrast them a little bit with mutual funds, and kind of explain to people why they're so popular and, you know, why we use them in our investment lineups as well. Did you say proliferated? Yes. Is that what you said? That's what I did. Ah, that's it. It's early on in the telecast for a $5 word. So uh, ETFs are popular for many reasons. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of those today. Um, we're not going to go too far down the rabbit hole in regard to, um, you know, the details of ETFs, but we're definitely going to give a good broad overview of how they work and contrast them with mutual funds. That's right. So I would say the first thing about ETFs and mutual funds is to say that they're more like cousins than anything else. Um, they both have properties that are, are very similar in that uh, they're both baskets of certain securities. So you can have ETFs that are bond funds. You can have ETFs that are stock funds. You can have ETFs that are commodities funds. And the same thing with mutual funds. So they're all a basket of securities. So they might all be large company funds. And let's say for this example, you have a, a large cap or large company mutual fund. It could have almost the same securities inside of the ETF. It's just how it's constituted and how it's uh, developed. The more popular or uh, kind of better known, if you will, ETFs will follow an index of some sort. Uh, so, to, so to dovetail on Clint's example, if you're talking about a large cap ETF, uh, very good chance that it's going to follow a, uh, an index such as the S&P 500 uh, as a way to be able to, to kind of model which securities it's going to have in its basket. Uh, Clint, what would a large cap mutual fund, how would that differ than uh, in a large cap ETF, which is going to follow an index like the S&P 500? Well, it can be exactly exactly the same. Like, for example, um, Vanguard has two S&P 500 uh, funds, one a mutual fund, one an ETF that contain the exact same securities inside of it. But in most cases, um, ETFs are seen as being more passive. So they're following an index. They don't have a portfolio manager. It's a certain basket of securities that's developed by an exchange uh, provider or another provider that that actually constitutes what's inside of that. So, for example, um, you know, if there's a an aerospace ETF, it might be a, a basket of 15 different uh, stocks inside of that aerospace fund, and it's all done by say market capitalization. So, how big the company is constitutes what its weighting is inside of the fund. Uh, and so an ETF is generally passive in that there is no investment manager buying and selling things over the course of time. 
and uh, therefore, um, you know, there are different nuances of that. So number one, uh, you have a little bit more control over uh, what's, what you see inside of the fund because you get to see the holdings uh, just about every single day in the ETF versus in the mutual fund where you could go in and you could see, okay, well, what is this large cap uh, ETF hold? Well, you can see that right away. What is this large cap mutual fund hold? You might know what they held a quarter ago because they generally have to disclose that on a quarterly basis, but they may be completely out of that position by the time that uh, you see that. So, you know, if you see that they owned Apple last quarter, well, they might not own Apple right now today in the fund. So on the ETF, you can see exactly what they own every single day. And so for some people or some investment managers, that's uh, extremely important there is that transparency and that kind of daily liquidity that they have inside of those uh, ETFs to see exactly what you have. Yeah. So let's talk about the popularity of, of ETFs and, and kind of how they've gotten to the point where they're at now. Um, the, the kind of flow of money from other uh, more traditional investments into ETFs over the last, call it, decade has been really groundbreaking. Um, and and it's, a, it's a clear indication that ETFs are not only here to stay, it, it's not a fad, it's not a fluke, it's not uh, um, you know, just something that we're going to talk about as it has been 10 years from now. Uh, it really, really looks like it's going to be the predominant way that people invest moving forward. Um, this is from the uh, Financial Times website. Um, since 2007, actively managed mutual funds, so that was the one that Clint was referring to by having a portfolio manager and kind of your more traditional style mutual funds, um, have had outflows, meaning money coming out of those investments, um, cumulatively at $1.2 trillion since 2007. Conversely, over that same period of time, ETFs or index tracking investments have had inflows of $1.4 trillion over that period of time. Uh, so it's not just a, uh, a kind of a complement uh, to a portfolio anymore. It is uh, how uh, a lot of people are fully constituting their portfolios at this point in the game. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's happened uh, with ETFs is that there's been this shift from active management uh, into passive management, into more index tracking. And the reason for that is uh, that if you look at all kinds of different studies, they say that active management uh, does not equate to additional rates of return. So the reason why we'd hire a portfolio manager uh, to buy and sell securities and not buy an index fund would be they would give us outperformance. And that outperformance can be measured in a number of different ways. I mean, uh, what we really look at when Nate and I are looking at funds is, okay, well, risk-adjusted, you know, what is their performance relative to a benchmark? You know, that's how we measure them as portfolio managers. And in most cases... Uh, you'll see that they won't be able to beat the index because they simply will not be able to hurdle over those investment management fees that they have inside of that fund. So as a result of that, the industry has started to move in that direction. There's also some regulation that's come up, uh, this Department of Labor ruling that has impacted our industry significantly, has uh, made index funds, uh, they've kind of put their stamp of approval in, in index funds, and so with uh, a lot of these investment companies being careful about litigation and careful about following the rules and their own compliance, uh, it does make it more difficult to recommend actively managed mutual funds if you are a fiduciary. So 
it is a situation where the government has kind of pushed people in a certain way, and the studies have also shown that active management uh, hasn't necessarily equated out to additional rate of return. So that's those are many of the reasons why you've seen this shift in ETFs from having uh, all these money being actively managed mutual funds pouring into passively managed funds. Yeah, one, the, the reason why the government, uh, as Clint said, put their quote, stamp of approval on ETFs is because there's really not a lot within the ETF world or the how ETFs are uh, constructed. There's, there's not a lot to have a problem with. In other words, ETFs typically have uh, low-cost, um, they have tax-efficient uh, structures, so they're more tax-efficient than your, than your typical mutual fund. Um, and now with the number of ETFs that are available, the uh, nooks and crannies of the market that we weren't able to get into before uh, we're now able to get there uh, with the number of ETFs that are that are listed. So as of um, right now, and again, right now is a, is, a, is a fluid period of time, but as of right now, there's almost 2,000 uh, ETFs that are available on the U.S. exchanges, meaning we have now the, the menu um, of ETFs that allows us to, to pretty much go wherever we need to go in the investing world, which was one big hurdle that the ETF world faced, uh, even as, as uh, recent as, say, five years ago. Uh, specifically, let's talk about uh, socially responsible investments. So socially responsible investments, uh, if people wanted to have that as a bias on their portfolio, that was primarily actively managed mutual fund territory. Um, Clint, what are some of the changes that we've seen in that area, specifically when it comes to exchange-traded funds? Uh, well, we've seen a lot more development in social responsible funds uh, in your example and in many other places to try to parse out uh, certain indexes. So, you know, in the social responsible space, uh, they've developed some indexes around and screened around a bunch of different factors uh, where they're going to say, OK, well, it's got to be um, environmental, social and governance factors are all uh, put into place inside of these funds. And these companies are ranked, and they've developed an index to mirror that. Uh, and all these indexes out there that, that have been developed, they go around a common idea, common theme. So before I gave aerospace, there could be defense. There could be, um, you know, there's all kinds of different uh, development of indexes now. And it's almost gotten to peak index now. You know, you can get an index in just about anything. I think one of the investment companies that, that we follow, they developed an index uh, based around NASCAR advertisers um and so if you advertise the nascar and you're you were put in this sort of etf and apparently down in the south they like to buy a bunch of these which makes no sense at all why you'd actually invest in something like that but you know these things are developed uh because they're they're marketing tools so you know from that perspective uh you've got to be a little careful because there's so many different funds out there now based on just about anything so let's get Kevin in here, our, our fearless producer. Let's get his take on this as the um, layperson in the room, and I say that with all due respect. So what what is, Kevin, what is a question that somebody might have that, um, you know, doesn't do this and, and um, um, kind of eat, drink, and, and, and sleep this every day as Clint and I do? What, what would, what's a question that uh, you might have when it comes to just ETFs, how they work, uh, how they're built, um, popularity, that kind of thing? I mean, I guess more like a general question, kind of like what's like the Cliff Notes version of like the major pros and major cons of ETFs as opposed to something else. 
That's yeah. a, it's a very college-related question. I kind of like It's good. That. I like that. Do they have Cliff Notes anymore? I don't know if they have Cliff Notes anymore. It's different, Kevin. What is it now? Is it, is it Cliff Notes, the little yellow books that you would read that would like take a novel and make it you know, 10 pages? There's plenty of other websites that kind of do the same thing. So <laughs> it's, it's grown beyond just the one. No, you get to rate your professors now. You get oh, to do all that just, stuff. None of these tools... Yeah. I didn't have any of these tools back in the day, you know. Sometimes you had speaker notes. That was nice, but only like one in every five classes. You guys had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to we school. We actually I had mean, to take yeah. notes, Kevin. You know, I mean, I mean you know, you know, it's yeah. not that extreme, but yeah, you actually had to, you know, kind of write things on paper. And no one brought a laptop in the class. Nobody like brought a laptop. There that did it, that. It, <laughs> kids these days. Yeah, now you guys all have tablets. I mean, you know, are you just using looking at your cell phones all class? But my daughter said that uh, when she, she becomes a freshman in the fall, all of the students there get Chromebooks. That's awesome. Their own Chromebook. Well, they should. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Do you have to buy insurance on those? I got to figure they everybody breaks their. Chromebook I'm sure there's a flyer or something <laughs> that's gonna come, that's gonna accompany the Chromebook. <laughs> it might be the only time when I recommend taking the insurance. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, wait, what was Kevin's question? Yeah, Something the, about the, the question and was the cliff notes, the pros and cons on ETFs. And I'll start with some of the pros. Um, and this is a, a really important nuance. Um, the way that they're able to constitute these ETFs, um, there's what's called creation and redemption on these ETFs. Um, and so what happens is in a mutual fund, the portfolio manager, when faced with redemptions, they actually have to sell some of their positions. So, you know, if I owned Apple for 20 years in this position and it became a huge portion of the fund, now all of a sudden everybody sees that I underperform and they head for the exits, right? They say, I want to leave the fund. They sell the fund. I have to sell a bunch of my stock inside of the fund. And if I had a lot of Apple inside of there and it had appreciated significantly, then from a capital gain perspective, I now have to give you that capital gain as the investor. The way that ETFs are constituted, they can kind of avoid that because there is no portfolio manager and there is no such, when you sell it, you actually just sell it. It's, it's created and redeemed really at the fund company. So there's no forced selling by the portfolio manager. This means that capital gains are minimized inside of all of these. Um, there are very few embedded capital gains when you buy or none in most cases when you buy these funds. So it's very tax efficient. So overall, what we see is that um, you know, from a Cliff Notes perspective from you, Kevin, because that was a long, uh, a long answer, but they're very tax efficient. Um, they're very transparent and in general uh, contain low costs inside of That's what thoughts. I was looking for, the yes. bullet points. The bullet points. Right. This bullet is points. me cramming the night before. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Kid, the, exactly. It's all the kids want nowadays. Just give me the bullet points. That's, that's right. it, you know. That's right. Now, some of the cons, I mean, some of the cons, there are trading costs in these funds. Um, and so it may or may not be higher than what they are in mutual funds. Commonly, they're actually lower. Uh, but, you know, you might have to pay, like TD Ameritrade, for example, right now, $7.95 a trade. So if you're a smaller investor, ETFs may or not may not make sense for you because if you're paying to get in, paying to get out, um, you're doing more frequent trading. Those costs can add up. So, you know, that's a little bit of an issue. Uh, it might be an issue, too, if you're using actively managed ETFs that they're not as transparent. So, you know, it, 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 the mutual fund's not transparent. The ETF is very transparent. And uh, that might be a little issue uh, there as well. Uh, another con, and this is a little bit of a um, kind of, I guess, a con with everything, but uh, you got to understand what you're buying when you're buying ETFs because um, as they're expanding the menu of ETFs, they're coming out with some pretty funky offerings now that you got to be a little careful with. Um, there's some companies coming out with what are called 2X or 3X 
um, ETFs, which just means that the port the the return, either positive or negative, on the investment is magnified. So it's it's either doubled or tripled. So if somebody just kind of blindly goes in and buys a two x or three x investment and they don't understand what that means, you know, they could see a you know a ten percent loss in that investment turn into a thirty percent loss really quickly. So uh, just be a little careful in understanding what you're buying because as they kind of push the envelope in terms of additional offerings and wanting to have you know even more space to be able to market these investments, they're they're getting uh, they're getting a little uh, little crazy in our opinion on uh, on where they're going with some of the investments now. Yeah, and some of them like volatility ETFs and and some of the uh, commodities ETFs that claim to track something. They claim to track oil, but if you look at the price of oil and the performance of oil. Uh, the price and performance of the ETF doesn't even come close to matching it in some cases. So we just have to be really careful about what we're buying. Uh, just because something's marketing in a certain way doesn't mean it's going to act that way. And you always have to be very careful of looking at a back test because if I'm going to develop a product, I'm never going to have a bad back test. So, you know, if I'm able to pick the performance time frame and things like that and show you, hey, it really performed great in 2008. Well, okay. Um, you know, you might be completely cherry picking performance. So they've gotten a little bit more away from back testing, but you still see it out there. And so you've got to, that should be a flashing red light when you see a lot of back tested performance that actually is not, is not actual performance of a fund. And so a lot of these ETFs, because as investment managers, we say, well, we want to see a, a track record. And I say to you, well, I don't have a track record. It's brand new. I'm probably not going to buy your funds. So they need to find some other way to market to us. And so they say, well, this back test is awesome. And then you go, that, 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 anybody can develop a good back test. Yeah, essentially a back test is just saying, okay, if we would have invested this money um, as we are today, and then we uh, kind of modeled that out going back five or 10 years, here's how it would have performed. But there's a lot of ways to manipulate that uh, performance. And as Clint said, it's interesting how nobody ever shows you a negative back test because they just found a way to manipulate enough of the variables to, to, to show a positive rate of return. So we're skeptical of, of small ETFs as well. In other words, um, you know, the, the ETF has to have enough volume in it so that, you know, you're not seeing wild swings in the prices. Um, and also, you know, the, the newness of an ETF. We, we're, we're always skeptical of something that hasn't been around for at least 12, if not 24 months. So um, it's kind of our, our, our um, longstanding recommendation in, in the majority of these podcasts. But seek out the advice of a qualified professional. Um, yes, you can buy ETFs on your own. You don't need the help of an advisor to buy an ETF. But um, you know, like anything else, be a little careful if you're not um, well-versed in this area. Yeah, you have to deal with the ETFs trade intraday, which is really important that you mentioned that, Nate, because uh, they trade intraday. It's not like a mutual fund where if you put in $1,000, at the end of the day, your $1,000 goes into the fund. Uh, the ETFs trade intraday, so it's an issue because there is a bid and an ask spread, just like stocks. So if you're familiar with trading stocks, these trade just like stocks do. And so thinly traded ones have a wide bid-ask spread. You'd have to be very careful with that because if, if you're buying a larger quantity of it, um, you know you could end up getting taken advantage of um, and you could have a situation where you're not buying at the price that you thought you are going to buy at. So they're, you know, they aren't for the brand new trader probably. You have to have some experience in there and understand what you're buying and selling and, and understand where the pitfalls are. Um, if you're buying the S&P 500, fine. That's very liquid. There's almost you know no spread there. But if you're buying something that's a little bit different, 
or from a fund company that's uh, a smaller, you want to be very careful about that bid-ask spread because it can have a big impact on your rates of return. Yeah. So again, just to, to hit the highlights here, the, the, the main reasons why we, um, you know, as, as advocates of ETF, uh, are fans of them, the, the cost structure, uh, difficult to find cheaper, um, you know, basket style investments than going down the ETF path. Uh, tax efficiency is, is fantastic. Uh, the ease of trading is is great as well. And we now have a menu that is robust enough to allow us to get into the areas that uh, that we want to get into or the areas that our clients want to get us to get into. If somebody wants a, um, you know, biomedical uh, investment, we can now find that in the ETF world, you know, that it was harder to find five to 10 years ago. So as the industry is moving that direction, we are uh, following suit and also moving that direction because in our opinion, uh, as fiduciaries, uh, it is the, uh, the the better way to go. Yeah, right now I think that uh, ten years ago you didn't have enough product, um, and now you just have almost too much product. And I think as financial advisors, uh, the universe of product is so great right now, and there's so much information out there that I think that as we progress in our career, and I think many advisors are looking at the same thing. I think you. Um, need to kind of develop an investment for philosophy around, you know, are you going more mutual funds? Are you going more ETFs? And kind of stick to that. So, you know, for us, uh, we've tilted to the point where we're more ETF than mutual fund now. And, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, you know, in a few years we'll be 100% ETF. But uh, it seems to certainly be trending that way. Yeah, it's it, it's not, um, again, it's long enough in the tooth where it's not a fad. And it's it's definitely a better way to, to do um you know, the diversified style investing that we like to do. So this will not be our last podcast discussing ETFs or, or kind of talking about the pros and cons of it, but we wanted to uh, at least just lay out kind of a foundation of, of knowledge when it comes to how these work. Um, and with the popularity that we've seen over the last five to 10 years, um, it, it is a huge, huge piece of our industry. So uh, thanks for listening today. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.